Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. We're going to hear in just a little bit some more good news from somebody about how Quest has impacted their life. But uh, I'll, I'll admit to you, I'm not a morning person. Anybody else not a morning person here? I suspect most of you at 11 o'clock are probably not morning people, right? But have you ever been up early enough to see the sunrise? Yeah, yeah, I've done it a few times in my life, managed to get up. Isn't it cool to see the darkness and the gray just give way to all the beautiful light and color? And we've been celebrating throughout Advent uh, the messianic titles the Old Testament gives Jesus. And actually one of them is that he is the day spring. He is the dawn. He is the sunrise. And it's, a, and it's this beautiful term that, that basically says that Jesus is the one who makes a new day for us. He's the one who gives us a new beginning. He's the one who can end the darkness in our life and bring grayness to light and full color. Isaiah 9-2 says it this way. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And later Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And isn't it true we associate light with warmth? We associate it with joy and health and color and life. And by contrast, we can all think of times in our life where we've had overshadowing grayness and darkness too as well. I mean, we've all experienced loss and death. Even this last week, in the midst of all the great good news, uh, many of you may already know because it's been floating around, Walt and Barb Miller, a couple of our elders here, lost their son to an unexpected heart attack this last week. Randy uh, died this last week. If you uh, know them well or want to want to help care for them, uh, the viewing is this afternoon, 2 to 6, and, uh, and tomorrow the funeral is at 11. Both of them are at, are at Indianola Church of Christ, where Randy's family has their roots uh, in town. And if you want to do something for them, the family is actually asking that you give a donation to the Miller Family Fund. And you can find information on, I believe, our Facebook page or at the Columbus Dispatch on how to get that if you're not able to make it to the funeral. Because uh, the mom has been a stay-at-home mom. They have three adopted kids and they're going to need some help in the transition uh, to get on their feet in this process. But we all have experienced those losses, right? Maybe not that kind of a loss, uh, but we've also had times of depression, times of anxiety, times of just grayness and darkness. And Jesus is the dawn of true life, light, and color. And it's just a beautiful picture to me because I, I specifically remember uh, growing up, uh, going on vacations and getting up before dawn to go fishing. And you get out, there's nothing like being out on a lake before dawn and you see the grayness of the water and the blackness of the shoreline and the trees on the shoreline. And as, as the sun just begins to dawn over, everything turns to brilliant colors and brilliant lights and you get to see the, the sparkle of the dew on the reeds and it's just, it's stunning. It's a stunning picture. We've also all experienced probably moments in our life where we've walked through a really dark patch of life. And we've walked out of that dark patch into light, into full color, and life changes again. And it reminds me of the dream that God gave that actually brought Wendy and I to Quest. It's a dream that we've shared twice before in the last five years since I've been here. And I want to share it again today just because it's a constant reminder to us of the picture God has for us to pray for and to be about as uh, as Quest. And if you've never heard it before, it's good for you to hear how good, good God's plans are for us. 
And let me just caveat that quickly. If you struggle with the idea of dreams being a way God speaks, um, I just want to encourage you to go back and reread the Christmas story. It's full of dreams and God speaking through dreams. And the Bible is full of dreams as a way God speaks to us. as one of the ways. So I, there's a dream that God gave me on July 13th, 2007. It was a, a full year before I even applied for the position here almost. And, and in this dream, I ended up on this balcony uh, overlooking a, a beautiful Midwest town. And I knew that it was in Ohio, which for me was really weird because I have no historical roots to tie me, to bring me, to make me think about Ohio at all. No family or anything here. And, and as I'm looking at this town, then all of a sudden this vision overlays the town and it's a, it's a picture of a strip mine. And many of you have seen strip mines in eastern Ohio or West Virginia, the, the, you know, miles across and hundreds and hundreds of feet deep and there's just, you know, dirt. And there were two paths coming out of the strip mine in the, in the dream, and they were filled with mint-conditioned World War II-era charcoal gray cars, and there was just no end to them. They were orderly, they were all trying to get out in a line, and there was no end to them. And all of a sudden in the dream, the, the vision switched from being far away, like a mile away where the cars, to all of a sudden being like the second or third row from me, and the, they switched from cars to people. And everybody was dressed professionally, beautifully, men and women in charcoal gray business suits, very well kept, and there was there was, it was really interesting. The thing that stood out to me was their skin was, well, like what would you would expect to see on a corpse. It, it was just colorless, ashen gray, dark. And the only color you could see in the picture was artificial attempts of them to put color on themselves. And it was just this, this feeling of professionalism, of order, of a sense of success, but also of this deep hunger for something more than the well-oiled machine of, of production and the pressure and the stress and the anxiety that can come, aclo- come across with that life of pursuing success. And then just, God just said, do you want to be part of something I'm already doing? I didn't bring this. It didn't come with me. Something God said, I'm already doing. Do you want to be part of something I'm already doing to bring color to people's lives in Ohio? And I said yes, and the dream ended, and I woke up with a profound sense of God being around me. And then one of the most profound confirmations of that came almost almost a year later. It was about a month before we were going to move here, and uh, my wife and I decided my, my older brother and his sister-in-law were in Redding, California at the time, and, and we went down to visit them. And we hadn't had a chance to see them at all during this process, tell them anything about the dream or anything. And my, my sister-in-law at that time still does. She likes to do art as part of her quiet time, and she will basically sit down and say, God, give me a picture, and she'll, she'll paint what she sees, and then at the end she'll say, God, what does this mean, and who's it for? And uh, before we had ever had a chance to tell her anything, she pulls out this picture and flips it around, and it's, it's like the abstract art that I used to grow up making fun of. It's just blobs of every single color you can imagine on the canvas. And she said, God said this is for you, and it's because you're bringing color to where his color to where you're going. It's a beautiful thing, and I actually plan on showing you that picture this morning, but as we were preparing for this series, Jeremy noticed a picture, and then he surprised, Jeremy and Alexis surprised us this morning by bringing it, and it's a, it's a picture of the Columbus skyline in all sorts of colors. And the vision is that God wants us to be a people that takes, takes the stress of pursuing success, takes the desire to look good, 
and turns it into something alive, something full of color for our community. It's God's promise over you and I that He's going to be the day spring for our life, that He's going to be the one who brings light and color and life. And it's exciting to think about. And as we look at it, though, this dream that God gave over Quest that paints His good purpose through us and even our Advent candle meditation also point to a problem, though. And the problem is this. The problem is that it's so easy for us to think we're on the right path and yet be caught in darkness and grayness and, and, and be trapped by false color. And how do we recognize that? Because there's this hunger that's not fulfilled yet. There's this, there's this energy directed and exerted to be orderly and professional in everything we do and to be successful. But, but, the, but the dream gave this picture of kind of meandering and not really knowing where we're going. And at the same time, the sense that God was taking our meandering and going to lead us to that place of color. And the amazing thing that Jeremy pointed out as we were preparing for this message, and I'm so grateful for Jeremy and for him being up here, is that not only did our scripture of the day spring of Jesus, and not only does this dream of color point to this, but also even at this Christmas time, the story of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol points to the same idea. So, Jeremy? Yeah, we were sitting in our creative team meeting talking about you know, how do we really demonstrate this? How do we communicate it better to uh, all of Quest? And, and um, you know, we asked the question, what really stands out as the Christmas experience? Year after year, what's something that, that people will encounter uh, on a regular basis? And Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, really came out. And, and it didn't take very long for us uh, as, we're, as we're digesting that and thinking about it and talking about it for us to recognize this is a perfect metaphor for what God wants to do through Quest here in bringing color to our community. You know, um, uh, Charles Dickens, he wrote this story out of his own experience of working in a debtor's prison at the age of 12. Um, he then grew in that moment, in that experience, a deep compassion for the poor, for the orphaned, uh, for the neglected. And through his works, he becomes very clear that he believes that a man's character cannot be judged based on his bank account, okay? And uh, so what I want to do today is I'm just going to tell a little bit of a story of, of, of Dickens and, and the Christmas Carol, and, and it's really just to help support what we really believe and what we um, long so much for here at Quest. And so the first thing I want to do is uh, just to begin to immerse ourselves in this character. We're going we're gonna to watch a clip in which Scrooge meets his old business parlor, uh, partner, Marley, and uh, he's offered a very startling truth about how the two of them used to practice business. And what I want you to pay attention to is just exactly how Marley looks and, and how close it resembles what Ross was talking about in the dream that he had in 2007. Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. here, watch, watch this clip. Chain, tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link. By link and yard by yard. Is it pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eve ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. We see no chain. Mine were invisible. Until the day of my death, as yours shall be. Tell me more. Speak. 
I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that. You always were a good man of business. Business! Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for you, Dick. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance of hope you mention? It is. Well, in that case, I, I think I'd rather not. <laughs> so what I want to highlight uh, here is, is Marley's emphatic description of how his pursuit of money left him in chains, right? Marley warned Scrooge about where he should be putting his energy, his time, and his devotion, and that, that his chains are really a result of how he has treated others through his business practices. Of course, uh, this is you know, the initial meeting of Marley and uh, Scrooge, and Scrooge remains unconvinced. He, he's not there yet. He hasn't quite seen the truth of what can happen uh, in how he lives his life. He can't see that different life, the one that's full of hope. He can't see how his current choices are ultimately a limitation for it. Yeah, and Jeremy points out a really important life truth, isn't it? It's really difficult for us sometimes to see life clearly. I mean, a large part of the reason we're chained, we're stuck in grayness is, is that we don't relate to Scrooge. I mean, we don't relate to him because we, we go, well, I'm, I'm not like that. I don't treat people the same way. I treat people kindly. I'm not miserly. I don't, I, I'm not a, you know, a difficult person like he is. And, and we, treat same, we treat sin the same way. We don't fully relate to sin either as people, Right? I mean, yeah, we all relate to the fact that we make mistakes. We all relate to the fact that we do individual things of sin, but, but we're not so bad. We do far more good than we do bad, and we're not stingy, we're not miserly, we're not greedy, we're not uncaring, we're not bitterly, bitter, and we're certainly not axe murderers, right? No, no, nobody's an axe murderer? Oh, good, good, okay. We have a heart, right? And we don't see the greatness of our own heart, and we live like the people in the dream that God gave because we, because we believe that we define sin and a sinful person as a bad person, don't we? We think of sin in terms of violations of the law. We think of it in terms of murder. We think of it in terms of cheating and stealing and all those things. And, and certainly those are things that are sin. But the reality is that most sin in our life is good in the wrong place. It's good things. In the wrong place. St. Augustine, in his book Confessions, defines sin as disordered love. Love out of order. 
And that's actually another way that St. Augustine is actually referring to the first of the Ten Commandments of idolatry, having something other than God be God. But we don't relate to idolatry either, do we? I mean, we have a tough time with that because we don't, we don't have little statues in our houses that we go home and we do burnt offerings to, although my family won't let me grill anymore because I offer them too many burnt offerings. And so I am only allowed to use the George Foreman grill from now on. Idolatry is really disordered love. And your struggle and my struggle with idolatry in our life is most often focused on really good things. The good things that God wants us to have. The good things like a good job, like romance, like great sex in our marriage, like marriage and a wonderful family, like physical health, like, like being financially prosperous. God wants us to have those things. Those are good things he wants us to have. And actually, that's one of the reasons why we do. I just want to celebrate one other piece of good news. We do Financial Peace University because we want people to be healthy financially. And this is the graduation of the last class. And that's how much debt they all paid off just during the nine weeks of the class. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. We've got another class coming up in January if you'd like to be a part of that. It's a great program to help bring peace to the financial world of your marriage and your family. Your struggle and my struggle with idolatry is really disordered love, and it's most often focused on the good things that God wants for us. And yet, our idolatry ends up ruling our life. It drives our vision. It drives our dreams. It drives our hope in life, and it trumps Our idolatry idolatry trumps any time the Bible challenges us to live differently. It trumps that command to us. I mean, think about it. Should you love your family and want to be happy happy marriage? Yes, absolutely. Should you love your career and want want to have success? Certainly. God wants those things for us even more than we want them. But if you love your career more than your family and thereby neglect your family, we all know what's going to happen, right? Right? I mean, we think of idolatry and we think of awful things like child sacrifice in the stories of idolatry. But Tim Keller says this. He says, there are a lot of jobs out there that if you're going to be successful in them, you perform child sacrifice. Why? Because you neglect your children so much that when they get older, they're angry. They're messed up. And your family, when it begins to implode and explode because you're working too much and your job is getting in the way, you protect what? You protect your idol and your family implodes on you. Idols lead us down a path full of darkness, not color, full of drivenness, not freedom and joy, full of death and not life. Even Ernest Becker, Pulitzer winning, uh, prize winning bestseller author and avowed secularist, secularist wrote uh, Denial of Death says this. He says, if you don't have a God in your life, you will turn something into a God. And Becker goes on to say, when secular people don't have a God, they turn to many different things. And he gives several different examples, but one of the examples he gives is he says, you may turn to romance to become God in your life, to get what you need, to get that sense of worth and meaning. You go to a love partner to get that sense of meaning instead of God. And no person in any relationship can live up to the billing of God. Now, I mean, I know we would never say that that's the way we're viewing our spouse, would we? Or the person that we love, we would never say that. But the reality is we often put them there and we bring that kind of pressure to the relationship and it crushes the relationship. Because idolatry puts the really good things of life, the needed things in life, the desired things in life in the ultimate place of life 
instead of God. And that is the core of sin. That's the core of drivenness. That's the core of grayness. If you don't define yourself as a bad person, everybody can define yourself as having struggled with this kind of idolatry, can't we? And Cynthia Heimel, I quoted her a couple of years ago, uh, the same quote, wrote in the New York City's Village Voice an article about celebrities, of which she knew many. And she says this. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I, I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each one of them became famous, they all wanted to take an overdose. Why? Because that thing that they had been striving for, that was going to make their life bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, it actually happened. And the day after they woke up, they were still them. And the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And then she goes on to say this. She says, I think when God wants to play a really mean joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles when you realize you really just want to kill yourself. Now, she grossly misrepresents God's heart in her statements about joke and giggles. But she is paraphrasing in one sense Romans 1 where it talks about God giving us over to our sin, to our idols. He doesn't give us over to that with the intent of crushing us. He gives us over to our idols and our sins sometimes with the intent of us beginning to see that that really is leading us to grayness and darkness and not to Him in hopes that we turn to Him and find real color in life. You see, God's purpose is that we enjoy a life of properly ordered love and we get to enjoy the success of life. The problem is most of us aren't the top two-tenths of 1% successful and wealthy in our, in our fields. We haven't reached the top. And therefore, we continue to live pursuing success with this hope that if we just do a little more, if we just get that next breakthrough, if we just get that next promotion, then things are going to really get easier and be good and life is going to be full of color rather than just a little itty-bitty amount of color we're experiencing now. And we can go many years not realizing that the good we're pursuing is an idol. It's disordered. And it's not actually leading us to the place we really want to be. You see, most of the time, the idols in our life are insidiously unconscious They drive us to produce. They drive us to succeed. They drive us to be the consummate professional. They drive us to be good. And like the dream God gave of all the people in nice pressed suits and like Dickens' Christmas Carol, we end up discovering that we're in a place that we don't want to be at some point in life. How do we identify our idols? Uh, Dickens' story gives us one clue. He's asking the question all throughout the story. What are your nightmares? What are your nightmares? What do you fear the most in life? That oftentimes points to your idol. And if that doesn't help, look at your emotions. Look at, your, look at, look at the things that swing your emotions. What, are the, what thing, if it were absent from your life, would take away your desire to live? What would cause you to struggle with extreme... What thing, if it was gone, would cause you to struggle with extreme depression and even suicidal thoughts? Is that one thing when your marriage is falling apart or struggling? Is that one thing when your body isn't as beautiful or as strong as it used to be? Is that one thing when you don't get the affirmation that you need instead you get silence or rejection and that causes you to implode? Is it, is it when your kids are not doing well? Or is it 
when your business isn't going well or when you lose a job? Is that what causes you to implode? See, love disordered is when good things that God intends us to have become ultimate things. And see, healthy would be if your marriage is not doing well or if your, if your business, you lost your dream job or if your kids are not doing well, that you would grieve and maybe even tremendously grieve. But when you've turned a good thing into an ultimate thing, it devastates you. It isn't just grief, it devastates you. You see, we all worship we all serve something. And even when we're Christ followers and, and intent on serving only Him, we still all struggle with having sometimes love disordered and something put in the ultimate place that still controls us and drives us and creates stress and is the fuel behind the anxiety in our life. So the question is, how do we find our way out of that grayness and out of our idolatry into true life. And Jeremy has some thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I want to go back to uh, the story of Christmas Carol. And, and um, what, what I didn't realize was that there, there are some biblical consistencies in Dickens' telling of the story. Now, it's not a perfect one-to-one match. You know, we, we can't use this script as the Bible, but it can help us. And, and um, but what Dickens does is he paints a picture of the possibility of living a life full of color. Um, before this year, uh, I really hadn't read this text before. In fact, all I really knew about it was uh, that there were some characters in it. Scrooge, Four Ghosts, and Tiny Tim. And, and I also knew that Bill Murray was the very best portrayal of Scrooge that there ever was, right? Um, but uh, I had the opportunity over Thanksgiving to read this story with Alexis. And, and actually, what happened was she read it to me uh, while rubbing my feet and feet. It was the greatest Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> and uh, Seth said that didn't happen. Um, but no, she... But never mind. Okay, so as, as she was reading this, I was driving the car and she was reading to me. She couldn't rub my feet. It was impossible. But um, as she was reading it, I discovered this new character uh, that, that came out. A character that, that I never knew existed in the story. It was Scrooge's nephew, Fred. Um, and he was this hopeful optimist, okay? He's the only character that sees Scrooge for who he could be and not who he actually is. Uh, he's a young man that knows that storing up money is not the cure for sadness, but true happiness is found through relationships. And he demonstrates that there's this hope for even the most stubborn of people out there. Um, here, I want you to watch this clip, and, and you'll meet Fred here with, with his um, friends. Let's, let's see this. Do you find my playing so amusing? Oh, I'm sorry, my lad. I was thinking of his face yesterday. Humbug, he said. Humbug. He said that Christmas was a humbug. He believed it, too. <laughs> I'd very much like to meet your uncle, sir. The droll way in which you portray him tickles my heart. He's a comical fellow. <laughs> but not so pleasant as he might be. His offences carry their own punishment. Dear brother-in-law, it's said he's very rich. Yes, well, that is very true. But his wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't even make himself comfortable with it. He squandered it. That's what you mean by comfortable. You mustn't argue with those we visit. It's useless and even tactless. Tact is quite a doubt of spot. That, I can see. I have no patience with him. Well, I have, and I feel sorry for him. (laughs) Sorry for me? (laughs) Who suffers from his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it in his heart to dislike us and uh, not come and dine with us. And he loses a very good dinner indeed. 
The reason that I talk about my uncle, sir, is that my mother, God rest her saintly soul, was very fond of him. She loved him. It's true. Fan loved me and I her. Dear Fan, I wish you were alive today. Fred looks very like her. Yes, I've been reminded of that just recently. I was only going to say that the consequences of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. And I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> and every year he'll say, Christmas. Bah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dear, we must see to our guests. Hello. 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 Yeah, happy in each other's company. Fred, and also the, the ghost of Christmas, the they, Christmas present, they point out to Scrooge that he has a warped sense of joy. It's misplaced and it's misunderstood. Clearly, uh, there are far better ways for a person to spend their life rather than toiling after money and storing it away. Fortunately, though, Scrooge is not a complete dolt, okay? Um, along the way, he learns these lessons, and he sees that life is fuller when we are generous. He discovers that our existence changes when, um, with how we live. Uh, and near the end of the story, Ebenezer, we find him kneeling before his own grave, and, and he recognizes uh, that we leave a legacy based on how we live this life. If we're miserly, uh, so will our legacy be. But if we're generous, if we enjoy the company of others, if we're thankful for what we have, whether big or small, uh, then we'll, we'll leave that kind of a legacy. And so he commits to change his life, to live in a different way. And, and what results uh, that he has are near immediate. He's filled with joy overwhelming. And I was, I was struck with this part of the text. As Alexis was reading it to me, um, Dickens just so well portrayed the difference in life that comes when we, when we experience this kind of freedom. Freedom that comes from generosity. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's the freedom that we experience when we choose to trust in him. This is how Dickens says it. Uh, this is the immediate result. Scrooge sat down in his chair again, breathless, and he chuckled till he cried. Shaving was not an easy task, for his hand continued to shake very much, and shaving required attention even when you don't dance while you're at it. But if he had cut the end of his nose off, he would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. See, that's what it looks like when our priorities are realigned, when we, when we understand how we should live our life according to the gospel, according to Christ. In fact, here, watch this clip to see this immediate transformation for Scrooge. Hello, you there, boy. Me, sir? Yes, you, my good fellow. What day is today? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day, of course. Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits did it all in one night. Well, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Um, hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one? Uh, on the corner? I should hope I did. Intelligent boy. Remarkable boy. 
Do you know if they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? What? The one as big as me? <laughs> Delightful boy. Pleasure talking to you. <laughs> the one as big as you. It's hanging there now. Well, go and buy it. Yes, go and buy it and bring them round so that I may tell them where to deliver it. Come back with the man, I'll give you a shilling. Come back in less than five minutes, I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> Stress myself. So much to do. I don't lose any time. I was light. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as May as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. Merry Christmas to everybody. And a happy new year to the world. You see, there's a lightness in Scrooge once, once he has this transformation. And, and um, immediately, uh, you know, once, once he chose not to be a Scrooge. Dickens wrote this because he understood uh, this to be how it works for us in life. You know, of course, this is a tightly packaged, neat narrative. Um, but if any of us have had the privilege of flirting with generosity, of understanding what it means to, to live freedom in Christ, then, then you can resonate with this story. You know, I, I'm, I'm personally glad to be able to participate in what we do here at Quest. It's a privilege, and, and Alexis and I were just overjoyed when Ross and Wendy invited us to come and, and do this uh, with them. And, and uh, it's just been a wonderful thing to be able to see color come into people's lives as they experience the truth of Christ in them. Uh, now, I have a special privilege this morning of introducing someone to you. Carrie Paul is going to come, and she is going to tell a story about how her life has changed exactly in this way. And uh, I'm just, it's, it's wonderful. So if you please help me uh, welcome Tara to this.
Isn't that beautiful? Tara's story illustrates something for us about the difference between living a life driven by religion and a life experiencing relationship. And that's beautiful. And it's something all of us can struggle with. We can all struggle with being driven by religion and rules and stuff because whether we're Catholic or Vineyard or Methodist or Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. We all struggle with it at times. We get caught in how religion teaches us to change our hearts. And it's very much the same way that Scrooge's story teaches us to change our hearts. See, Dickens in this story is actually portraying his faith journey. He is portraying it through the whole story for us. And, it, and, and, and the reality is, when you read Dickens' later writing, it didn't lead him to full color. Later on, Dickens actually says that your salvation is through good works. See, it didn't lead him to full color. It, all this weight of trying to prove himself, all this desire to correct the wrongs of society, it didn't lead him to the freedom of love. See, heart change doesn't happen in the way we see it in Scrooge or, or even in Jesus' example of generosity, right? Though God wants us to experience generosity and that to be a major hallmark of the joy we get to be a part of. He wants us to experience that. And, and, and heart change doesn't happen from just seeing the need and feeling the compassion to want to change it over, over the din of all the busyness that sometimes clouds out that compassion. Although God does want us to experience that joy of feeling that compassion and the resulting ministry we do. And, and heart change doesn't happen from just seeing the injustice around us and allowing ourselves to be moved by it. I mean, if you understand Dickens writing this, he's writing it in the context of the Industrial Revolution. And a major motivation for him writing this is to correct the financial injustices and the child labor laws and all that stuff. And as good as those causes are, seeing those causes and being moved by them doesn't really fully change our hearts and bring us to full life. Because for Scrooge, like too often for us, We try to change our hearts by encountering ourselves, by encountering our lack, by looking at our own heart and by by being moved by our own guilt or by our own desire to change something. And that doesn't bring the change that we want. It's only an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's only an encounter with God that actually brings the change because the change of heart comes from reordering our heart right from having God in the right place, from removing those ultimate things from ultimate things and putting them in the good places and even then putting them in the right order of the good place that God wants us to have them in. So I want to just take and pause a moment here and I want you to, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to come to you and speak to you right now about is there an area where you're struggling with getting an, a good thing in the ultimate place? And maybe, maybe the help questions we asked earlier before will be helpful. What is the nightmare that you fear most? Or what one thing, if it were absent from your life, would take away your desire to live? When you struggle with extreme depression or even thoughts of suicide, what is that issue? Because very likely that issue is in the wrong place in your life. And God wants to come to you and speak to you about that right now. So just ask him what that is.
keep that thought in mind as we continue. Every other religion, whether it's Islam, Judaism, Mormon, secular humanism, every other religion forces us to save ourselves by looking at ourselves and proving we are worth it to change something, to get to a different level of consciousness or whatever. But God and Jesus knows we can't do that. He knows we can't do that. He knows that we'll fail in ultimately changing our heart. And when we fail, we will always substitute something that's created, a created thing or an ideal that we have and put it in the place of him and put it in the place of God. So God himself, to change that and change our hearts, sends sends himself to earth. He comes as a son, as a baby, Jesus, to show us he's touchable. He's vulnerable to invite us to that same vulnerability. He lives as a man to show us the patient picture of love and freedom and peace and security that can only be discovered when we have love ordered properly in our life so that we can have that kind of security to deal with conflict and deal with rejection and deal with everything in life that we need to deal with. And he gives us that picture. And he gives us another picture as a, as a man in his ministry, too. He picks the most unlikely group of people to be his disciples who are going to spread the word, his word and his good news all over the world. And he does that for the purpose of saying to each and every one of us here, I choose you. I choose you. And then he dies on the cross. And he rises again to show us that we can have absolute perfect confidence in his forgiveness, perfect confidence in his acceptance, perfect confidence that he will always love us. He's never going to reject us. We can always turn to him. And he doesn't stop there. He becomes Emmanuel with us even more by sending his Holy Spirit to live with us and live within us when we follow him, to empower us every day in the reordering of love in our life so that we get to walk into that good, beautiful life full of color that he's inviting us to because love is properly ordered. ordered. Let's just continue to worship today and just continue to ask the Holy Spirit to come to you and speak to you and to help you reorder that place of your life, to speak peace to you. If it's, an, if it's anxiety that you, that you noted that is behind that idol, then, then, then let him come and touch that anxiety to you in you right now. And invite him through worship to be in that ultimate place. Lord, we do invite you now. We invite you to come. And Lord, we so often want to follow you, but we don't even always see how love is disordered in our life and how we've put idols in the ultimate place. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the gift this Christmas of coming to us and removing those things from the ultimate place and allowing us to experience you and your presence and your love that truly changes our heart, that frees us. So it's not our guilt motivating us to change. It's not our need to atone for ourselves. It's simply us being free to love and be loved, to experience the good you have for us. Lord, we worship you. We adore you. Thank you that you come and give that to us. Be our Lord. Be our King. Be our Master. Be the one who's close and touchable to us. Be the one who's wise and caring. Holy Spirit, come as we continue to worship. That's so true. He loves us. He loves you.
doesn't matter what, if you're in a good patch, a light patch, a colorful patch, a dark patch in life, He loves you. And He wants to take you out of that. And just as Tara's story showed us, told us earlier, sometimes it's just simply having other people pray for you that helps us out of that. So if you're here today and you've got any kind of need, Maybe it's a family issue going on. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a job issue. Maybe you're just really frustrated over an area of your life that you just can't seem to get by and you wish you could get by. God meets us through prayer. Just don't leave without grabbing somebody to pray for you today. We're going to receive our offering now. Ushers, come on down. Thank you for your generous giving. Lord, we're just so grateful. We are just so tremendously grateful for the vision you have for our lives, the fact that you say over our lives that our lives are going to have color and that we're going to bring color to this community in beautiful ways. Do you have a destiny and a purpose for us? And we're so grateful to be a part of that, so grateful for the way you're increasing that among us, so grateful for the opportunity to give to that today. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.